everybody, and welcome back to Read Between the Tracks. My name is Caitlin Cromley Lynn, and I am here with my co host and very good friend, Jeffrey Edelstein. Hello. Hello. And for the very first time on our podcast, we have our special guest and fellow Drew alumni, Chris Bontempo. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited to have you. So Chris, Jeffrey, and I, we all went to Drew together. Right. And we um, today are going to be talking about an album that the three of us enjoy a lot, which is uh, Nevermind by Nirvana. And Chris is a fellow big Nirvana fan. I know, Chris, you and I watched uh, the Montage of Heck uh, documentary when it first came out. And Definitely. But we're all very big fans of this album. So, Jeffrey, do you want to get into kind of the history of the band yep. and all the way up to this um, very important album in grunge history? Yeah, absolutely. So, Nevermind is probably the best-known Nirvana album. This is the album that has the baby in the pool swimming after a dollar bill. This is 1991's um, contribution to the music scene an album which is the same age as us, all three of us, so that's interesting. No, I'm, I'm older than this album. I, I don't know why too. you would admit that in a podcast, but okay. No shame. Um, but, so we all know we all know some story about Nirvana, right? The band is, uh, is notorious for various, like, different tall tales, lores, and stories. Some of them we'll get into, but the basics are that... Um, this album was started when Kurt Cobain and Dave Grohl and Chris, say the other guy's name. I'm sorry. Chris Novoselic. Right. Chris, you're the only person in the three of us who can say it correctly. I'm sorry, Chris. I struggle. I'm sorry, Chris. If you're listening, I know you're not listening, but we apologize in advance. Um, this started as on the record company Sub Pop. It was a big big record for for sub pop and it, it establishes the grunge style of northwestern american music um think flannel and think drug use um but what distinguished nirvana is their their ability to capture the angst of the early 90s and the transition of uh from 80s music 80s machismo rock music to something a little bit more grounded and a little bit closer to the heart so that's what we can call nirvana's contribution early on awesome so before we go into our track by track analysis as we always do uh just want to cite some sources right at the top um the three of us had a lot of different sources so in terms of books i will say a lot of books focus on kurt cobain because there's a lot of mystery and questions behind um, his death. Um, he uh, died at 27 from a uh, self-inflicted gunshot wound and a lot of questions surround his death and the fact that he died young, so therefore cemented him as a rock legend. But there is a wonderful book that I highly recommend called uh, Come As You Are, and the author is Michael Azerod. And he interviewed everyone in Nirvana for this book. So this is directly from the horse's mouth. It's considered by Nirvana fans to be the go-to book as well. 
There's another book that I read that is called, it's very recent actually, it's called Serving the Servant by Danny Goldberg. And he was the music manager of Nirvana. And he essentially wrote about a lot of the technical parts of like recording and um, his relationship with Kurt Cobain, uh, really good. And then what documentaries did the two of you watch? So I watched The Story of Nirvana. It's a documentary that I found on YouTube. It's pretty old. It's from when they when Kurt was alive. Um, on and the only information I could find beyond, like what's on YouTube, is that it's from a, a show called Much More Music, um, that may have appeared on VH1 or MTV. Uh, that's all I could find. But it is on YouTube. It was not the best, but it had a lot of information. Like in terms of documentary, it's going to be a little hard to get through. But there's lots of really good interviews. There's lots of good conversations from people who were who were Nirvana or knew about them. Yeah, and uh, for me, I did rewatch um, the HBO documentary Montage of Heck. I, I do know that some people don't really like it. I know there's a little bit of controversy about that, but I do think it is kind of a good insight into, you know, kind of like a young Kurt Cobain, kind of like, you know, him growing up. Um, some things that kind of shaped, you know, his music and his songwriting later. And I also found there's a documentary, um, I believe it was a series called um, Classic Albums. They did one, it's called Classic Albums Nevermind. And it re it's really good. It kind of talks about the, um, kind of like the more like recording process. It talks about, you know, Butch, uh, Butch Vig, who was the producer. He was the, actually the drummer of the band Garbage. And, you know, when they worked with, because originally I believe they, they had recorded some songs for sub pop but they had switched to i think i think it was dgc i think maybe under a different label but anyway yeah it was, it's kind of more you know it breaks down the songs talks about you know the whole recording process um and kind of the story behind a lot of the songs awesome so with that um those are all of our sources this is the history of the band now we're going to dive into our track by track analysis and right from the top we have nirvana's probably most well-known song smells like teen spirit so a little bit of backstory on this song so kurt cobain was a huge admirer of uh bikini kill he had a lot of feminist ideals and loved a lot of um women fronted bands and bands that were primarily made up of women and admired women and bikini kill um had kathleen hannah in it and they were all hanging out and after like a night of debauchery and drinking and partying and drugs and whatever other activities they all got into, um, she wrote on a wall, Kurt smells like teen spirit, which was, if those who are listening are old enough to remember, was a brand of deodorant. I know when I was a preteen, I first, that I think that was my very first deodorant. I've never smelled it. I want to smell it. I don't even know if they still make it. I want to know what it smells like. I do want to know what it smells like before i knew that tidbit i always thought it meant like like smelled like teenagers and teenagers for those of you who've never worked with children who are teenagers have a very distinct smell and it's it's not pleasant i was gonna say is the smell lack of showering <laughs> it it is not that it's the it, it's that and and also that like the desperate attempt to not smell Oh, I always feel like so Teen Spirit sad. would smell like a high school locker room, kind of like that. That's axe, exactly that or, smell of like ugh. Or if you've never been on, if you're an adult and you haven't been on a school bus in a long time, go on a school bus. It will smell very different than you remember. It will smell like children. 
From what I remember, it just smelled like chemical flowers. That's what I remember. But anyway, so Kurt thought that this was hilarious. And he was like, can I use that line as a song? And I think a lot of people interpret this song as like a call to arms or a call for rebellion, like teenage rebellion, hence why it smells like teen spirit. But I think what I find very interesting, and as much as I love this song, I always have in the back of the, my mind, Bane ended up hating this song because he wrote this kind of as a joke or as a challenge rather like, oh, I want to sound like the Pixies. I'm going to try and write the ultimate pop song. But there is a very clever use of assonance in this song throughout the chorus which is, um, for those who are not English majors like Jeffrey and I, assonance is a essentially a repetition of a vowel sound to create a rhyme. And, and we see that throughout the album. We see that throughout the album, but we especially see it in the chorus here, which uh, essentially it's a, it's a very simple chorus. It's just a repeat of hello, 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 and then it the last part is how low. So it's a play on words and it's a play on rhyme. So um, Jeffrey and It's Kurt- like that Gertrude Stein poem it- that you did in your capstone. Yes. Do you remember that? I do remember my capstone. Um, I've tried to block a lot of my capstone out because <laughs> that, I think we all did. that was a very difficult <laughs> time trying to prepare for our uh, senior papers. Jeffrey and Chris, what kind of themes are we seeing here in this song that that kurt is is talking about chris you're the guest go for it yeah i mean just like a little background i feel like um i i I feel like i didn't really get into nirvana kind of like until maybe like middle school high school but i remember just like even like i feel like anyone kind of growing up in the 90s you know you heard you would hear smells like teen spirit like at every birthday party you know you'd hear it on the radio all the time um and i feel like it was just like caitlin like you said it was just like kind of like a poppy made it was like it was made to be a hit the song was like made for radio i believe it was one of the last songs they actually recorded um for nevermind um and just that whole like you know that whole it just how it became this anthem for just like this generation for just teenagers i think even like a lot of the lyrics just sound like you're almost like talking to a teenager like kind of like how they would speak well there was that one great line um in the chorus which i i had read um so if we go to the chorus just quickly the chorus goes with the lights out it's less dangerous here we are now entertain us i feel stupid and contagious. Here we are now. Entertain us. A mulatto, an albino, a mosquito, my libido. So with the line, here we are now, entertain us, in a Rolling Stone interview, Kurt Cobain would say, which you see a lot with his, um, in this album, his humor. He would say that he used that line when he would go to parties as an icebreaker to maybe like break any tension um, he would tell like the host, like, here we are now, like, entertain us. That's what you're here for. And I think this song is funny in a way because it not only did it become mainstream, but it's, I think, speaking a lot about the emptiness of fandom. And you, yeah, you, you see that so much in this song, which is why I find it so ironic that it became so big. And I love the other line in verse two, that little couplet, our little group has always been and always will. 
until the end, which I feel like is about Nirvana itself, like almost that foreshadowing, like they knew that they were going to get big and that they will put their stamp on music history. I, I, I have to say, I hear the humor. I hear the jokes. I think that there's another audience for this song and it's like the adults who are listening to this like listening to their kids listen to it and it's a really scary song to adults it is it's like talking about it's talking about like let's go back to that very infamous chorus with the lights out it's less dangerous implying that like things you do in the dark are not dangerous or you're safe doing things in the dark um, here we are now entertain us saying we are teenagers or we're human we're we're young humans do something with us take us to Chuck E. Cheese <laughs> um, I feel stupid and contagious meaning I I don't feel like I'm I'm smart enough to go on and my stupidity is contagious and then of course I, I love the use of my libido because one of the things that adults always like to say about teenagers is that they're hormonal right and that that means that and they use that to devalue teenagers opinions and thoughts and so even if like kurt's lyrics aren't directly going in that direction it's definitely making fun of adults who are terrified of teenagers because there's really nothing scary about teenagers the teenagers are the scared should be the scared my chemical romance would say differently but anyway we'll get to that album we will get to that album i just wanted to touch both of both of them um but i wanted to touch upon a couple other things and chris i had a question for you uh, as well but um in verse three, there's that drug reference. Like there's a couple, I think, drug references, but there's that big one in verse three. It's, and I forget just why I taste. Oh yeah, I guess it makes me smile. I found it hard. It's hard to find. Oh well, whatever, never mind. Which of course is a reference to the album title. But I think Jeffrey talking about how, what you just said, like how, you know, doing things in the dark is less dangerous that you have this like very clear drug reference but i just had to had to chris because you and i are such huge fans of the song touch on weird al's parody of of this song which is so great and kurt thought this song was hilarious um because it essentially makes fun of on the surface a lot of the times if you listen to nirvana you can't understand a friggin word that kurt cobain is saying yeah no i just wanted to say that too because as a like as a kid I never knew the words to this song. I'll admit, like I thought, and that's why I thought the Weird Al version was like so funny. That music video was just hilarious. Like the part where the guy's head banging and his head just like falls off. Like I, I love that Weird Al. I'm a big Weird Al fan. If it's not very, very obvious, but I mean, yeah, like I, I never really knew the words, and I feel like that kind of plays into kind of like the kind of meaning of the song. In a way yeah, no, for sure. And I think, think that um, that's why Kurt thought it was so funny. And yeah. I, and again, we, we talk a lot. We'll talk a lot about his mm-hmm. sense of humor and his, um, he's a very contradictory person. So I just think like he, I love that he appreciated it. And I love that how, how weird Al interpreted this song. But anyway, monumental song that propelled them into stardom. So, now we're moving on to track two, which is called In Bloom, which um, I think is a great transition from Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is, I think, mocking, as I said, fandom and quote unquote fake fans. And you see that 
I feel like the posers, the posers, exactly, in this song. So right off the bat, you have like the this verse one. It's sell the kids for food. Weather changes moods. Spring is here again. Reproductive glands. All right. Um, Jeffrey, Jeffrey I, and Chris. I love that first line. Yeah, I was gonna say, what do you guys think of that that opener? I think I, I like at first glance, I'm like, that is so weird. That is so weird. But what do you guys think that what he's ta- what is he talking about? I mean, just like what a grab, what a hook. Sell the kids for food. Like we we are kind of like propelled into this world where like where who would do that? And we know that people do that. That people have no choice but to do that. And it establishes that this is a narrative where youth is, where children or youth is devalued, or, or that we're going to be in a w- world where comparisons of the extreme are made. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I just feel like you know it's it, it definitely is kind of going on what Caitlin said, just poking fun at like you know, you know, kind of like teenagers at the time, the audience that Nirvana would see at their concerts really because apparently Nirvana would play shows for like a lot of starting out you know in the Bleach era they'd be like basically playing for like you know frat frat parties basically and I feel like a lot of the lyrics would go on you know talking about you know how you know you know that kind of like the teenage hormonal part of things you know weather changes mood going on to say like the whole lyric the reproductive glands but also you know talking about how you know a lot of people listening to the songs, going to the concerts, you know, hey, they might not really know the true meaning of these lyrics. Well, and you would, and you think, right, like, as you listen to the song, it's a, it's, it's, there's a dichotomy there, right? Because the, the verse mm-hmm. one and verse two kind of talk about, like, nature and, like, spring is kind of that time for, like, rebirth and growth. So, like, you're kind of talking about teenagers in that kind of phase of their lives because, um... As I'm just going to go to verse two for a second. I think the chorus is really important, but verse two says, like, we can have some more nature is a whore, bruises on the fruit, tender age in bloom, which is where the song title comes from. And there's that whole theme that you were talking about, right? Like, this is really for the teenagers who are in that prime part of their lives where they're kind of on that cusp of being in bloom and either moving on to that adult part of their life and, like, making certain choices which kind of gets into the chorus uh which i'll read and then i'll let the two of you interpret it goes um he's the one who likes all our pretty songs and he likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun but he knows not what it means don't know what it means when i say he's the one who likes all our pretty songs and he likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun but he don't know what it means, don't know what it means, and I say, yeah. So right off the bat, I think this is, just again, a kind of continuing criticism of the fans that, like, kind of sing along blindly to Nirvana songs without really knowing what they're singing about. Um, You mean me? Because that was definitely me. (laughs) This is still definitely me. Name three songs, Jeff. Researching for this for this album you're not a real fan not a real fan poser <laughs> but th- again like kind of if, if you read any interviews with kurt or like or, or listen to kurt in in interviews um he's a very contradictory guy right because he 
made Nirvana or like helped make Nirvana knowing that he wanted to be famous. He wanted the band to get big. And that involves like multiple quote unquote kinds of fans, right? So you will have the the mainstream fans. And I think he struggled for a while, like picking and choosing exactly what he wanted. Like he wanted like the feeling of like the underground of like the not so mainstream fans, but like the mainstream fans were the ones that were like raking in the dough for the band. So I, I feel like there's a lot of like dichotomy there. Like Chris, what do you think? Yeah, no, definitely. I feel like, I mean, especially with just how much this album and I mean, particularly smells like teen spirit and a lot of the other, like, you know, singles, just how much they were just played on MTV. Like they were going to get that audience, like no matter what, even if Kurt, you know, and I mean, this kind of speaks to, there were other bands around the same time kind of doing similar things to Nirvana, but with, with Nevermind, with, you know, this album and kind of the fame they got from this, like they became kind of like, they were like, you know, a household name. They were the biggest, you know, album of the era, even if other bands were kind of like trying, like there were other underground bands, but, um, yeah. And I mean, that's not to say that I don't think Kurt, you know, hated his fans. He's not, he's not trying to like totally like single out his fans. I think he, he did love performing. He did love making music. So I think that there's that to consider too. And then just to kind of end on a different kind of note, what do you guys think of that line? He likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun. There's a lot of gun imagery in this in this album, which speaking of like Kurt Cobain's like end to his life, find like fairly ironic. So like what's with all the gun in imagery? What do you guys think? I think in in this song, I definitely think it's like it's like a sexual thing. It's like a I'm gonna shoot my shot with a girl or I'm gonna like, you know, I'm going to like run my mouth. I always, I thought it was more like that. Like he's some guy who's got, who's got nothing okay. to say. But yeah, no, shit. definitely. I, I feel like it too could be like, you just maybe like the audience they're doing. I mean, if they're, you know, playing shows, you know, when they started in Aberdeen, maybe moving to Seattle, maybe there were maybe some people in the audience, you know, toting guns, couple frat boys, that kind of thing. You know, I feel like it could be taken literally or like Jeff said, it could be, you know, inferred in that way. I almost thought this was a Mark David Chapman reference, especially because Kurt Cobain is, was a big fan of the Beatles and, you know, he was a huge fan of John Lennon and, you know, it's... I don't, I don't see that. No, he was. No, no, I know that, but I don't see it as a Mark David Chapman reference. I don't necessarily think it's a Mark David Chapman reference, but that's kind of what I think of when I hear that, that chorus. Like he, he likes to sing along and he likes to shoot his gun. Like... Like, when you think of Mark David Chapman, he was such, like, a huge fan of the Beatles and John Lennon, and it kind of got warped, and it got to the point where, as he's kind of saying, he doesn't know what it means either to be a fan or to, like, know what the lyrics are saying, and, you know, it just gets to the point where it gets so warped and you stop being, like, true to yourself or a true fan or whatever, and it causes harm. That's kind of the vein I I was thinking. I can see that now. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's a direct reference, but I can I can see where you're going with it. And as I said, I think there's a lot of gun imagery <laughs> in this album. So I was I just yeah. thought that was such a weird but um interesting insertion into the chorus. But Okay, let's move on yeah. to Come As You Are, which is my favorite song. I do love album. this song. Same here. Very yeah, much. it's def- I think this is like one of my favorite Nirvana songs. It might just be my favorite song. I'm gonna read the first verse. Uh Come As You Are, As You Were as I want you to be, as a friend, as a friend, as an old enemy, take your time, hurry up, choice is yours, 
don't be late take a rest as a friend as an old memoria uh, of course my reading the lyrics really doesn't do it justice you with all of the lyrics on this album you absolutely have to have kurt singing them it's really a moment this album is really a moment of like the singer owns the song and he really his intonation on each word the way he stretches certain words it, it's all in the way that you that you listen to kurt singing um the lyrics themselves i i think stand stand higher and stand taller stand better with kurt's voice behind them i agree and, and, and a lot of nirvana fans love this song and perceive it as like a song of acceptance but myself i'm not quite sure because you have that like series of contradictions and ironies because you have um as you read like you either you can be a friend you can be an enemy you can take your time or hurry up but there's still that sense of demand behind the lyrics which i find a little ominous because right off the bat you say like come as you are like come be yourself no labels no nothing but it's as the narrator wants you to be, he straight up says, as I want you to be. And again, there's that irony, choice is yours, uh, or take your time, hurry up. Choice is yours, don't be late. So you 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 have this false sense of like, be whoever you want, do whatever you want, but not really. I don't know. That, that's I, I love this song, but I feel like a lot of people interpret this as like a be whoever you want to be kind of song. And I don't really think so. Um, Chris, what do you think? Am I completely off base here? I kind of, no, no. I kind of see it in the same way, more along the lines of, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of Nevermind kind of deals with, you know, I want to say, cause it was like, you know, teenagers became the biggest fans, but like a lot of kind of what society maybe expects of you, right? you know, and that kind of ties into like kind of the irony of the lyrics you know, yeah, just like, you know, being true to yourself, but at the same time, all what would the people, not necessarily society, but what the people around you expect. Um, you I know, was what, just going to say that. You know, are you acting, yeah, are you acting a certain way to please other people, or are you being true to yourself? Are you following your own ideals? That sort of thing. I, I think it's a radically queer accepting song, though, in that way, that there's like this whole group of people who are like having to play nice with and play straight and like to me there's this real message of there we like we see that there are people who are out there playing this double life and that they are often like doused in, mo doused in mud smoke uh, soaked in bleach that they're not treated well and that they they're trying to live with with this life that they've been given and the for me the ending half of the song um the repetition of no i don't have a gun is a plea of i'm not dangerous i'm not a dangerous person i'm not a dangerous idea and also i'm not dangerous to myself so don't don't which tell is me so that. ironic in looking at the way he died but i did want right. to ask what did you guys think of the choice of the refrain of memoria like, that's such an interesting word. I've never heard that in a song before, other than this one. I always felt like he was just saying memory, but he was just kind of, like, enunciating that with 
the lyrics. I mean, that's just me personally. I don't know. It's a Latin word. It's a Latin word, though. Um, mem- uh, memory is, it's just translated as memory, but um, I just think that's such an interesting word choice. Jeffrey, what were you going to say? Yeah, I think lyric, like musically, it sounds really good, right? That that if, if you say memory, it kind of the music kind of sinks, but if mem- memoria, memoria, it kind of flies, it kind of flies up. It, I just think musically it works really well here, um, and it's not off. But where do you think that fits memory. in as the message? Like as you were saying, you if Jeff, you interpret it as like a like kind of more like queer accepting song and chris you're talking about how like it's a lot about the irony of what society is putting on you then what is the song saying about like memory or how you want to be remembered because that's the the constant refrain of this song which i find so interesting like it's not necessarily coming back to these ideas that either you have of yourself or society has of you but it comes back to this memory or like how you're remembered so what do, what do you think of that one of the ways i always kind of like interpreted this is almost like kurt or like the narrator is kind of talking to somebody maybe either he used to know or he knows and it's like it's not necessarily like i just mentioned like you know being true to yourself but like also like how you interpret this other person like the memory of that person um if that makes sense you know in context of things you know, as I as I remember you, or like as I know as the true person I know you are, or are you acting this way for another reason? Yeah, I I see that. I don't disagree with that. So the way I kind of listened to it was when we people tend to believe that as children they are a more authentic version of their, themselves, or there's like there's a version of themselves that's like unspoiled by the, the yeah. ugliness of the world. And so I was kind of like going, leaning into that a little bit, um, that there's that there's a version of you in the past right. who you were before that. you were like damaged by the world. That's really good. And so that's kind of where I f- went with it. And it fits really well into my interpretation. Not that I'm saying that Kurt Cobain literally wrote the song as a queer like acceptance song. It just has that effect. Yes, Jeffrey, you're right. Um... Kurt Cobain definitely was like very accepting of um, the LGBTQ community. He is quoted in the insecticides liner notes as saying, if any of you in any way hate homosexuals, people of a different color or women, please do us this one favor for us. Leave us the fuck alone. Don't come to our shows and don't buy our records, which, oh my gosh, I love that quote. I've always loved that quote. In 1991 was a big deal. And definitely in 1991, yeah. Big deal. How in many other people were saying that? Yeah. Right in the middle of the culture wars, which I'll be referencing again. He also has another quote um, inside in utero. He said, "If you're a sexist, racist, homophobe, or basically an asshole, don't buy the CD. I don't care if you like me. I hate you." Which go Kurt Cobain. Like that was a radical idea. That was a radical idea Good at on the you, time. Kurt. It really was. Yep. Yep. Especially when, like, a lot of other... I feel like a lot of other, like, rock and roll at the time. Because, I mean, I mean, we can touch on this just how much... What was the other big band during this time? It was Guns N' Roses, who Kurt did absolutely despised. Like, the whole, like, 
machismo, kind of a lot of other kind of like coming from like the hair metal era of like the not so subtle kind of sexism, that whole thing. Kurt just right, Kurt just right, and that. I think that's a great transition to move into breed, which I feel like tackles these like heteronormative ideas of what like marriage and family is. So, um, I. I love this song just as a mood song. Like if I, I love driving and I'll it's a great song. like if I need to get pumped up for something, I'll listen to this because it's so like it's such a high beat. Like it, it goes very, very quickly and it's very, very edgy in, in terms of his like vocal delivery. And I just want to I'll start with the refrain, which is um, I don't care. 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 Care if it's old. I don't mind, I don't mind, I don't mind, I don't mind, mind, don't have a mind. Get away, get away, get away, get away, away, away from your home. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, ghost. And then it goes into the chorus. Even if you have, even if you need, I don't mean to stare, we don't have to breed. We could plant a house, we could build a tree. I don't even care. We could have all three. She said, she said, she said, she said, she said, she said. So I think this is a great song about like it captures that teen angst and like running away. Like it's like when you you're with like your high school sweetheart and like it's like nobody understands. Like no one gets me. Like we're going to be together forever, babe. Like I got you. And it's tackling though that like structural like or society's like normal idea of like what a family is it's like we can run away and we can like tackle that idea of like what an, a real family is and like i the the use of switching around plant and build like you usually build a house and plant a tree and in this case it's planting a house and building a tree which i think is right. so funny and it's and normally you're supposed to get married and have kids but like He's tackling all those ideas in the chorus in such a swift and clever way. So I don't mean to stare. We don't have to breed. We could plant a house. We could build a tree. I don't even care. We could have all three. So it's we can just be together and just be. And who cares? Like, which I think is so interesting. What do you guys think? The switch of the, the build and the plants. When I listened to the song, I was like, this is somebody mid mid anxious terrified rant and and just like stumbling over their words yes so i and like stumbling on she said she said she said like like trying to get the next line out kind of like um in in the who's my generation where roger daughtry is like stumbling he did that for musical effect it's kind of like the anxiety of right. just you know being a teenager being with somebody the whole the whole lyric i'm afraid right. like it's it's wanting to be with somebody, but at the same time being, you know, terrified about it. Because I know I know Montage of Heck touches on this a bit. I'm, I don't want I don't want to comment too much on like you know, Kurt like what Kurt kind of went through like his whole upbringing. But you know he did he did want the idea of a family from what I understand and that whole idea of intimacy. This is a, kind of a song about being with somebody, wanting to be with them, but at the same time just being absolutely terrified. Just the whole, I mean, hey, you know, you could plant a house, you could build a tree. Oh, we don't need to breed, but I still, you know, we can do all three. I can still be with you, but 
this this scares well i think the word breed is such an interesting word because it's so clinical right like you think of like like breeding dogs or like breeding like like animals in general but like when you're talking about people you like speak about it differently you say like starting a family or like you know trying for a baby more respectable terms but like it almost brings it back to that very primitive carnal idea and like very basic idea of like what a family is and like chris i think you bring such a bring up such a good point because i mean i think part of kurt's upbringing is so important because he was so incredibly affected by his parents divorce and i think he really struggled with what the family dynamic was or what it means and i think saying you have the basics like when you think of like the perfect life you often go to like nice house white picket fence mommy daddy and kid and he kind of dismantles that right in the course it's like as long as we're together and we stay together, like, that's fine. We don't even have to have kids because, like, once you bring kids in the mix, like, I feel like there's that fear of, like, traumatizing them. But as long as it's just, like, you and me, it's perfect. Right. So yeah. I, fi- I just think it's a really interesting, really interesting song. And then just wrapping up the song, you have that repetition of, like, the chorus. And she said, she said, she said in the outro. You barely hear it, but it's, a, it's said good. You get the the sense that she said, good, like, that's okay. Yes, let's go with it. All right, so moving on to another interesting song called Lithium. This is one of my favorite Nirvana songs because I just think it's so incredibly clever. It is so right. incredibly clever. So coming right from the uh, Come As You Are biography that I referenced at the top of the episode, this song is about a man turning towards religion to cope with the death of his girlfriend and keeping himself from committing suicide. So right off the bat, we have some very dark but brilliant lyrical imagery. And I just have to read the verses that are in this song. So right at the top, verse one, I'm so happy because today I found my friends. They're in my head. I'm so ugly. That's okay because so are you. We broke our mirrors. Sunday morning is every day for all I care. And I'm not scared. Light my candles in a daze because I've found God. Like, holy crap. Like, those are, like, like I get, like, especially that last line, I get chills. Light my candles in a daze because I've found God. And then the chorus is just a re- repeating, yeah, yeah, yeah. And verse two. I'm so lonely. That's okay. I shaved my head and I'm not sad. And just maybe I'm to blame for all I've heard, but I'm not sure. I'm so excited. I can't wait to meet you there. And I don't care. I'm so horny. That's okay. My will is good. And then one of my favorite parts is the bridge, which is I like it. I'm not going to crack. I miss you. I'm not going to crack. I love you. I'm not going to crack. I killed you. I'm not going to crack. I like it. I'm not going to crack. I miss you. I'm not going to crack. I love you. I'm not going to crack. I killed you. I'm not going to crack. And then I'm just going to read the last verse. And it's just a repetition of verse one. And then we get the chorus of yeah, yeah, yeah. And the outro of the bridge. So right off the bat, like so many 
insane mental illness tropes and you get the sense that like as the, the speaker is speaking to you that they're literally having a mental breakdown and i just think it's such clever insane songwriting and that that first verse like i always go back to that first verse because like i found my friends they're in my head so you get the sense of like hallucinations or like talking to yourself that this person is also struggling with self-image like to the point where it's that almost like cartoonishly funny like you look in the mirror and you're so ugly like that spongebob episode where the mirror breaks and then sunday morning which is um like stereotypical like you like for the most part with religion you go to church on sunday sunday morning is every day for all i care and then light my candles in a daze because i found god that that's so powerful what do you guys think so just background lithium is uh is a mental health treatment it's a medication that is typically used to treat mood disorders including bipolar disorder it's also effective for treating specifically the symptom of suicidal ideation one of the common um, delusions that someone who has bipolar disorder a manic episode of in bipolar disorder one of the common delusions when you're manic is to believe that you are closer to god god or god actually yeah, for sure. And I mean, even I'm like Jeff, obviously, like what you said, what lithium is. Um, and even Caitlin, like you said, like the subject matter just of the song, Kurt's lyrics. I feel like there is some irony in just like what, you know, the lyrics are. I just have like upbeat and like upbeat of a song it is. It's just like this poppy s song. But then like, I think, you know, talking about this before, you kind of said like toward the end, just how it kind of like breaks down. Right, for sure. And I think you, as you said, Chris, like I totally agree with you that... It has this like falsely cheery delivery to it where like you're kind of expected to believe this person, but you get that like repetition of words. Like the chorus is just literally a series of yeah. Yes. Like it's that like forcing yourself to have like self-affirmation. Like, yes, I'm fine. Yes, I found God. Yes, everything is fine. Not going to hurt myself. Not going to do anything. Just going to keep moving on. Keep keep on keeping but you get these hints that things are not okay because as you get hints in the lyrics the speaker's friends are in their head i'm so lonely that you shave your head i'm not sad like it, it just seems like there's almost this apathy or like lack of emotion to the point where you get the sense of the spiral so this is one of my favorite nirvana songs just because i think it's so like, as a writer, I find it incredibly clever songwriting. It's brilliant songwriting. I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts on it before we moved on uh, to another very dark song. Yeah, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of a progression. We go from kind of like slightly dark, dark enough to wow, kind of really in the next song, which is Polly. Yes. So right at the top, I'm going to just put a disclaimer on this song. This song is probably Nirvana's, like, one of their darkest songs. It's from the point of view of a rapist. It's based on a true story. We don't know the name of the victim, which I think is much better for the victim. But um, in 1987, this man named uh, Gerald Friend, in 1987 in Tacoma, Washington, he kidnapped this 14-year-old girl and this poor thing tortured her with a razor, a whip, and a blowtorch and this song is from the point of view of gerald friend but 
as weird as it sounds, Kurt is able to deliver it in a way that makes him the sicko that he is. So again, right off the top, if you're like, if you find this kind of subject matter really disturbing, I suggest that you skip ahead a little bit. These lyrics are very dark and gets into that mindset of someone who is as mentally unwell and sick as uh, someone like that is. So plowing on. All right, verse one is Polly wants a cracker. I think I should get off her first. I think she wants some water to put out the blowtorch. And then the chorus is, isn't me, have a seed, let me clip, dirty wings, let me take a ride, cut yourself, want some help, please myself, got some rope, haven't told, promise you, haven't true, let me take a ride, cut yourself, want some help, please myself. So you immediately get the sense that this person is absolutely depraved, number one, which I think is the point. The wonderful thing about Kurt Cobain and Nirvana in general is that they were huge supporters of women, like very feminist men. And so Nirvana actually played a few benefits to help rape victims, including a concert in 1993 called Rock Against Rape, which raised money for um, women's like self-defense, which is great. So I don't want to get like too much in the lyrics, but like essentially uh, other than that, but it just keeps going on. Just like this very detached, non-empathetic view and like just as this girl like is a literally like a vehicle for his pleasure as uh, as sick as it is and i don't really want to say much more it's not a lolita moment right it's not this like long protracted romance right it's this i might as well is the whole thing and it's that it's this really like the, the the speaker in this song is this really pathetic guy and is really um, just so detached from the pain that, that Polly is experiencing. Right, and I mean, he even says, like, you get hints that, like, the, the girl is, like, pleading for help and he gets off on her, like, pleading for help. He also gets off, like, he says, like, at one point, like, she wants to be untied and he wants to chase her. Polly said, Polly says her back hurts. She's just as bored as me. She caught me off my guard, amazes me, the will of instinct. So like, even after all he's done to her, um, she still wants to go on. And I'm going to quote Kurt again, because again, I feel really bad. Like this is a very dark song and it deals into very dark subject matter. But Kurt wanted to kind of take away from like that, as Chris and Jeffrey have both said, that machismo, like, idea of like that women are objects or that women can just be taken and used and he wrote in the liner notes to insecticide about this last year a girl was raped by two wastes of sperm and eggs while they sang the lyrics to our song polly i have a hard time carrying on knowing there are plankton like that in our audience so he wanted to write about these garbage versions of men that take something that is innocent or or take not not only something that is innocent but women in general and use them and degrade them and traumatize them and how it's not okay and i i know it's hard to interpret that on the surface like listening to it because it's a very dark song 
but he was essentially just saying like these kind of people suck and he hated like he I think he had even made comments Kurt saying that like sometimes he feels like being a man is like a shame to the human race because like men do things like this but that's all I really have to say do you guys have any other commentary on this song yeah I think in a way you know by taking you know that this point of view obviously that you said I think he's kind of in a way gearing this toward men because I think it was I can't remember the interview he actually said, but I think Kurt was talking about how, or a conversation he had with somebody about how there were so many, in this time, there were, you know, self-defense classes for women, but in Kurt's eye, you know, the way he kind of saw things, like, you know, hey, why aren't we, you know, we're teaching women how to defend themselves, why aren't we teaching the men that this is wrong? Um, So so, good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and great point, and I 100% agree, and I, again, this song, like, gives me the heebie-jeebies, so I want to move on. All right, so moving on from Polly, we get into a lot more upbeat song, and I love this song title. It is called Territorial Pissings, which I find hilarious and obviously is a nod to Kurt's sense of humor as well. But that intro, I think, is so clever. It takes from the song called Get Together by the Young Bloods, which was released in 1967, and it goes, and I, and I I'm going to kind of imitate like the jauntiness that comes with it. It goes, come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together. Try to love one another right now. And it's just this like really, really crazed jauntiness. Oh, I don't know about that. I wouldn't say that that song is Pollyannish. I would say that it's like this legit like 1960s hippie hippie right. thing. Where it's like, if we just all agreed to stop killing each other in Vietnam. He's mocking it. But yeah, yeah, Kurt is definitely mocking it in this version. But it's worth noting that, like, Kurt is commenting on how that was always a pipe dream. Yes. And, and like, the song it, itself is he's he's not paying homage to it. He's saying this was a nice idea that never panned out. Well, because as much as it's different from Polly, it's kind of that continuation of commentary on how we as a society mistreat women. And this song specifically is not only about mistreating women, it's also about mistreating Native Americans, which I thought was like super interesting. Yeah, because in the 1990s, there's this cultural awakening and recognition of white America for Native Americans. And there's there's like almost a um, like prop making out of Native American culture, um, even as like actual Native Americans are trying to get their their messages out there. We see lots of examples in media, especially from like our childhood um, from like cartoons and stuff of just like, oh, Native Americans, we should learn about them. They're pretty cool. Squanto. <laughs> Thank you, Jeffrey. Chris, what do you what do you think? I definitely think this is, you know, obviously feminist Kurt coming through. Um, you know, a back we've talked about, you know, the whole like, you know, commentating on, you know, the whole like macho kind of of rock and roll, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, I really like this song. I actually kinda think that like maybe in an alternate universe this would have been the, you know, the intro track to the album, just because of like how, you know, Interesting. how fast it is, kind of that thing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just my take on it. I, I mean, I really love the song. You know, they play it. It's the intro to a Montage of Heck after, you know, they show the whole kind of monologue type right, thing. Right, right. Um, yeah, and it's weird just because coming from Polly, which is like smack in the middle of the album, 
into like this much faster kind of song you know going from this acoustic into like you know hey you know we're back at it now kind of like that whole you know and that's and this is kind of the theme of the whole album that kind of soft loud soft loud kind of thing as i was saying earlier this continues on the themes that were kind of touched upon in Polly. there's that wonderful line in that is verse two which is so great he says never met a wise man if so it's a woman like hell yes kurt like yeah i, I love that, that line so much it's so good it's so good it's so good that's like one of my favorite lines and you and he just sneaks it right in there and i just think that's so, that's so like i want that on a t-shirt i want that on a mug so I think this is a really moment, interesting moment when we talk about how the culture wars are going on and how like Christian right wing America is like censoring everything. And even like people like Second Lady Tipper Gore are obsessed with censoring things to make them child friendly. It isn't until a few years later that we start seeing black labels on albums such as Green Day's. But here we have like a really interesting moment where Kurt Cobain is basically saying like the culture is the problem. The problem with the culture is that it is extremely violent towards certain people um, and that the wisdom that we've been trusting is not based in actually making things better. It's based in a power dynamic that is wrong. Right, because in verse one, he says right off the top of the song, like after that, like very jaunty intro that's borrowed from the young bloods when i was an alien cultures weren't opinions again super powerful line like cultures weren't opinions it's not something that you debate like everyone has their own culture and that's okay but there's that idea that like all these different cultures look down on each other especially as we were talking about earlier the white man versus the native american like what's ours versus what's yours and etc cetera, etc cetera. so again super clever songwriting disguised with like I- irony and humor but moving on to another great song drain you which before we started recording this i loved the three of us debating <laughs> what exactly this song was about <laughs> that was fun that was fun uh i'll i'll just say it oh, go I-, I thought it was about fellatio that's what I thought it was about when I listened to it as forever. I've thought that. And then when I listened to it again this week, I was like, maybe not, but you, you guys teach me what you, what you thought of it. It's based on, I don't know if it's a hundred percent about this, but it's based on um, Kurt Cobain's breakup with uh, Toby Vale, who was the drummer of Bikini Kill and a couple of songs on here about her. Apparently, um, the lore uh, around the song is that when she was breaking up with him, she said to him, um, it is now my duty to completely drain you, which is a line in the song. But I think this song really is just about this like very primitive kind of love, like at the at its most basic. But there's a lot of it's there's a lot of primitive imagery of love. Like, especially, um, and I and I know we were debating this earlier uh, for our listeners who don't know, there's a lot of, like, baby imagery. And, and I know, Jeffrey, you were like, it's not literally babies, but, like, you have that, like, maternal imagery, like, in the chorus. It, it, the chorus is just, chew your meat for you, pass it back and forth in a passionate kiss from my mouth to yours, I like you. When you think of 
like chewing your meat for you. It's like kind of how that like you have like a mother bird kind of doing that for their babies. Like it's it's a very maternal and primitive kind of love that this singer kind of is striving for. Um, and of course, at the top of verse one, it says uh, another ba- one baby to another says I'm lucky to have met you. So there is that like baby imagery, which whatever you got, you guys think I'm. Yeah, but I don't think it's literally babies. I think it's teenagers yeah, no. or babies. I don't think it's literally babies either. But like, I do think there is that maternal, like he longs for that, like the or the singer. I'm not saying Kurt, but like I'm I'm saying that the singer or the speaker is longing for that, like maternal, unconditional love. Like it's it's right there in the lyrics, in my opinion. I get that a bit. To me, it's more... I mean, I feel like this is kind of, like, maybe the most, like, wholesome song on the album. It is just kind of, like, kind of an upbeat, kind of, you know, teenage love kind of thing. I feel like definitely the whole, like, maternal kind of baby, especially childbirth family thing is going to come on in utero later on. But, um, yeah, I feel like this and then the next song, uh, which is Lounge Act, they kind of, kind of have, like, an almost similar theme to them. A bit of just kind of like that whole, like, you know, teenage love kind of aspect. You guys can correct me on that. No, yeah, I get what you're saying. I just think, like, with at least with Drain You, which, like, kind of tells you exactly from the song title, there's a lot of, like, taking. Like, and, again, like, a lot of maternal imagery when you think of, like, a a baby and, like, how um, it's, like, nursing the mother. Like, you get, like, I travel through a tube and end up in your infection. It's now my duty to completely drain you. There, There's so much taking and there's not really any giving. Like, even in verse 2, with eyes so dilated, I become your pupil. You taught me everything without a poison apple. The water is so yellow. I'm a healthy student. Indebted and so grateful. Vacuum out the fluids. It's just taking. And in the bridge is just you, 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 you. So, like, there is that passion, but it's just so much taking like that you don't hear about the other side of it it's like being in a relationship with like a narcissist or with somebody who's very into themselves or is very uh is very prone to harming themselves or not taking care of themselves and i think that's where the song really goes with it right the lounge act which has a lot of similar themes same thing nirvana lore says that this song specifically is a is about his breakup with um, Toby Vale and like the conflicting feelings that kind of go with it. But I think they were also going for this kind of sounding like lounge music, hence why it's called lounge act. It's kind of like what you would hear when you're hanging out in a lounge, I guess. But yeah, I just think like a lot of this song goes with like the theme of like how you feel when you're, I guess, like struggling with breaking up with someone so some of the lyrics start it starts out truth covered in insecurity i can't let you smother me i'd like to but it couldn't work trading off and taking turns i don't regret a thing and then the chorus goes and i've got this friend you see who makes me feel i wanted more than i could steal I'll arrest myself, I'll wear a shield, I'll go out of my way to prove I still smell her on you. So you get this sense, like, that they, that this the speaker, like, doesn't regret the relationship, but is, like, struggling with the breakup, and is, like, kind of rebounding, and 
even with the smell her on you line, I think that's like a callback to Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is like, as we were talking about earlier, is multi-layered because both Kathleen Hanna and uh, Toby Vale are from Bikini Kill. So I, I just think it's a lot of conflicting feelings about like trying to move on after a breakup. What do you guys think? No, I definitely, I definitely get a lot of that. I like that line, I smell her on you. I think that's like the most, to me, that's like so interesting that I, I of course, originally heard it as like male speaker of this song, smelling another woman on another woman. Because that's always where I go with these things. I'm always like in the queer zone. And I, I don't know if that's where it went, but... I, I think I think like the verse two really kind of stuck out to me as don't tell me what I want to hear, afraid of never knowing fear. Every experience anything you need, I'll keep fighting jealousy until it's fucking gone. Like there's clearly the speaker is trying really hard to make this work, but doesn't feel like it's it's working or it doesn't feel matched right. in that. A hundred percent agree. And then even as you get towards the end of the song, the chorus changes and you have like a change in it. So it goes like, I got this friend, you see, you makes you feel I wanted more than I could steal. I'll arrest myself. I'll wear a shield. And then it goes into, I'll go out of my way to make you a deal. We'll make a pact to learn from who ever we want without new rules. We'll sh- and we'll share what's lost and what we grew. They'll go out of their way to prove they still smell her on you they still smell her on you, smell her on you. That is so interesting as a closer. I'm not really sure what to make of that. I just feel like, like, I'm trying to figure out what the pact is. Like, is the pact that they stay friends? Is the pact that they, like, both move on? Because there's still that, like, smell her on you, smell her on you. Like, that's like the big refrain throughout this whole song so it's almost like the ghost this girl like lingers throughout all the speakers like relationships yeah for sure i feel like maybe this more than the last song kind of points more toward like the breakup aspect obviously like and kind of maybe it's talking about how you know other people around the narrator they'll go out of the way to prove they still smell her on you maybe like you know how other people are kind of seeing this thing and not just how maybe you're seeing this thing in the terms of I the really narrator. appreciate that. I really like that. But yeah, I think it's the, both Drain You and Lounge Act kind of um, mirror each other a lot. Now I think we'll move on to um, another great hype. I, I think this is one of my other hype songs that I'll listen to if I need to get pumped for something. Um, for me personally, sometimes I listen to Nirvana just to get in a mood. Not necessarily for the lyrics, but um, next song in this album is called Stay Away. And I think this song kind of is another song that makes fun of like the mainstream or or the posers in life right off the bat. It's, it, I, I think this one is pr- more simple in terms of interpretation. But verse one is monkey see, monkey do. I don't know why. Rather be dead than cool. I don't know why. Every line ends in rhyme. I don't know why. Less is more. Love is blind. I don't know why. The chorus just goes, stay, stay away, stay away, stay away. And then it kind of goes on very similar uh, to Come As You Are. You have these like series of contradictions and ironies. Um, Verse two is, 
give an inch, take a smile, which is a play on words, uh, give an inch, take a mile. So it's give an inch, take a smile. I don't know why. Fashion shits, fashion style. I don't know why. Blow it out, keep it in. I don't know why. Have to have poison skin. I don't know why. And then goes back to the chorus and goes back to the first verse. And then it's just repeating, stay away, stay away. Ends in the outro. The last line is God is gay. Good one, Kurt. I love. I love that. I love a sense of humor. A lot of the times, like, even as a huge Nirvana fan, um, I really, like, a lot of the times I couldn't understand the lyrics, which is why I appreciate Weird Al. Weird Al's version of, like, Smells Like Teen Spirit, uh, or Smells Like Nirvana, rather. Because unless I think you read the lyrics, you really don't understand a friggin' word that Kurt Cobain is singing. But I really think this is just a song about, like, the irony of, like, poser mentality. I think it's kind of, maybe not necessarily posers, but more of just, like, you know, if we're framing this in, you know, terms of, like, you know, a lot of the other themes on this, the whole, you know, teenagers, that rebellion kind of thing. Just trying to be cool, maybe. You know, the whole monkey see, monkey do type thing, you know, trying to fit in, you know, fashion, obviously, you know, all those, the, everything along the lines, of that kind of thing. Well, I think, like, the irony of this, again, like, Kurt Cobain was, like, hugely accepting of other people, and I think he actually got arrested for, like, I think one of the, another story of Nirvana lore, there is a mugshot um, of Kurt being arrested for spray painting, but he was spray painting stuff, like, Oh no, graffiti, the 90s worst crime. I know, but he got, he was saying that he used to spray paint like God is gay on pickup trucks in like Aberdeen where he grew up. I love that. (laughs) He did attend like church with his parents because they were like hardcore Christians. And there are police records that say like he was spray painting actually like ain't got no how much I'm gonna call it. That's actually what he was spray painting. But I still, I love the idea, though, of him spray painting God is gay on pickup trucks in Washington. Like, I just think that's great. But I think, you know, it's just a, like, sticking it to the man kind of song. Mainstream isn't cool. Like, and this is why it's not, not cool. Rather be dead than cool. Love that line. That's the extent of my thoughts on uh, Stay Away. Unless anybody else had any thoughts. Yeah. I don't even think I have anything musically to say about it. Maybe this is just a good moment to to talk about like how the other two members of the band and how important their contributions are to it. Like, you know, I Yes. You know, I said it I said it in our in our warm up, but like Dave Grohl really made this band. Before Dave Grohl joined this band, they had gone through like six other drummers. And Dave Grohl right. is a very talented mu- musician, even in the 90s, before, you know, we know him from the Foo Fighters. But really, like, this is a great moment for for us to just say, like, it's not just Kurt. It's everyone in this band is pulling their weight. Definitely. Right. No, for sure. So with that, we'll move on to On a Plane, <laughs> which this is, I think, the point where... I think they just start riffing. I think this is such a... This is like a song... This and Endless Nameless, which is the last track on the album, I had a really hard time, like, trying to interpret. Um, So I think, Chris, I'll let you start, because as I said, I really had a hard time with this one. I want to hear your thoughts on this song. I mean, from what I've heard and from what I've, you know, kind of researched a bit, this was actually one of the last songs that Kurt 
not as I don't know if they necessarily wrote the whole musically or music wise, but one of the last songs Kurt had to do the lyrics for. And just always the way I kind of interpret it is, I mean, it is a little upbeat. I kind of feel like Kurt's kind of winging it here. I think they were just trying to finish the album. You know, I mean, there's a whole line, what the hell am I trying to say? I mean, I don't know if Kurt's being literal here. You know, there's also the part, you know, it is now time to make it unclear, to write off lines that don't make a sense. Like, I, I kind of feel like, you know, he's kind of just, Kurt's just kind of doing whatever the hell he feels on this one, really. Yeah, unless you guys kind of see it any other way. I was going to say, there's a few lines in here that I find really interesting. So <laughs> verse one starts off very interesting. First line is, I'll start this off without any words. So again, another haha joke. Second line is, I got so high I scratched till I bled. So for those who um, know Nirvana fairly well, and even for those who don't, Kurt was a heroin addict. Um, and with for the most part with drug addiction... Sometimes either if you're so high or like if even if you're withdrawing, if you look at addicts, if they have like scabs and scratches and stuff, that that's a big reason why you just that's an after effect of getting high or withdrawal. I love myself better than you. I know it's wrong. So what should I do? The finest day I've ever had was when I learned to cry on command. Love myself better than you. I know it's wrong. So what should I do? And then the chorus is, I'm on a plane. And plane, by the way, is spelled P-L-A-I-N, like a like a field right, kind of plane. Right, it's not an airplane. Right. I can't I can't complain. I'm on a plane. And then you get even more interesting lyrics in verse two. My mother died every night. It's safe to say. Don't quote me on that. I love myself better than you. I know it's wrong. So what should I do? The black sheep got blackmailed again. Forgot to put on the zip code. Love myself better than you. I know it's wrong, so what should I do? And then it goes back into the chorus. And then the bridge says, Somewhere I have heard this before. In my in a dream, my memory has stored. As a defense, I'm neutered in spade. What the hell am I trying to say? As you said, Chris, uh, earlier. And then there's that part. Um, now it's time to make it unclear to write off lines that don't make sense. Love myself better than you. I know it's wrong, so what should I do? And one more special message to go. And then I'm done and I can go home. Love myself better than you. I know it's wrong. So what should I do? And then it goes like on, like I'm in a plane. I can't complain on and off. So I just think this is such a weird song. I think it's like a, almost like a amalgamation of all these different themes and messages. Like you kind of get that self-deprecation and a lot of joking, but it's also like very weirdly dark it's almost like i i can picture like almost like kirk Cobain being on a stage and doing stand-up i know that sounds weird but it kind of comes off that way i don't want to say this is a filler track but just kind of looking at the lyrics and just kind of like i mean no it's not a bad song by any means i i, I love the song i just kind of feel like kurt's just kind of like doing whatever he feels like on this one i mean i don't know how That's you guys feel fair. i as i said i think it's, it's almost riff. like a and I it's think a it's riff. a good riff. Yeah, it's a riff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving on to one of my all-time favorite Nirvana songs. I know you guys feel differently than I do, but I'll explain no, I why like I feel. I like this one. <laughs> I like this one a lot. Okay, I know Chris doesn't feel the same way I do, but um, there's really just uh, one verse and one chorus that's repeated. Um, so I'll read that. And... 
It goes, uh, the verse is, underneath the bridge, tarp has sprung a leak, and the animals I've trapped have all become my pets, and I'm living off of grass and the drippings from the ceiling. It's okay to eat fish, because they don't have any feelings. And then the chorus goes, something in the way, mmm, something in the way, yeah, mmm. And then it just alternates something in the way with mmm and yeah. And then it just repeats that first verse that I read and then the chorus. So there's a lot of lore behind this song and a lot of contradicting stories. So um, Kurt would say that at one point when he was transitioning from living with his family and like going back and forth between like his mom and then his uh his dad and his stepmom because his parents were divorced he was homeless and was living under um a bridge in Aberdeen Washington where he grew up and like there are conflicting reports on that Kurt says that was true other people in his life say that isn't true but regardless of whether it's true or not the theme in this song is which I find super powerful um is the theme of displacement that um, no matter where you go, whether physically or mentally, you don't belong anywhere. And the something in the way is Kurt. Like Kurt feels that he is in the way of his mom. He's in the way of his dad starting a new family. He doesn't really belong anywhere. And that first, that, that verse that repeats is so haunting. Like you're drinking water from the ceiling. You're eating grass. You're eating fish the animals that that you're with are like your only sense of company like you have this stark sense of loneliness and it, and it's just such a powerful song and i highly highly recommend for those who haven't listened there's the unplugged live album of um nirvana that um there's a performance of this song that is done and it's so beautiful i i, I love this right song. it's the mtv unplugged yes. yep beautiful performance of this song um, and has a, a bunch of other covers and, and tracks off of different albums that are on here uh, or on that album. But um, this is one of my all-time favorite Nirvana songs. I don't know if you guys had any other thoughts on it, but um, I just find it so interesting how it's like wrapped in so much lore. My my like take on this was, this was the first time I think I listened to this song in a like long, long same, time. Same for like, me, yeah. I would have listened to this song for the first time when I got a copy of this as like a burned copy from one of my friends, maybe in maybe in middle school, but definitely in high school. Um, and what I noticed in this version is something in the way is is both a lyrical reference and a musical reference. Like the the chords in chord there is the same as something by the Beatles, George Harrison's lyric, and George and Paul's writing. And I'm not sure why that was made. It, perhaps it was just amusing. I, but thinking about it, it's it's a very soothing song, right? We know we all know that song. It's one of the greatest Beatles songs of all time. I think on um, the Beatles channel on Sirius XM, they ranked it was the fan favorite number five or six this year. And it, you know we all know that Kurt loved the Beatles. I'm not sure what it's doing here, except to say that, like, contrasted with the verses, the music 
and the lyric are much calmer and more soothing and and not as as upsetting or not as sad or not as uh, as reality based something in the way is kind of like humming the the tune while experiencing all this stuff it's interesting you say the uh humming part because from watching um just one documentary on you know how how they actually kind of recorded it apparently this was actually kind of planned because it does sound not not so much out of place but just a little bit different i mean because polly's acoustic this is more definitely slower definitely a little more somber than the rest of the album apparently it was planned to be kind of more of that slow fast slow fast kind of theme they had going for the rest of the album but apparently when they were recording this kurt was just this is according to on the documentary talking to uh butch vig the uh producer kurt was just kind of on a couch and he just started playing this and then butch was just kind of like oh yo hold on and he kind of ran and just got some microphones and he's like no no no, keep going and kurt just kind of recorded as it is and they went from there so it's the, almost that kind of like more intimate kind of almost he's like almost whispering to you and talking about caitlin like you said just about i mean whether the story is true or not either way just it kind of reflects on just kind of like you know his upbringing kind of how kurt felt you know growing up you know that isolation that not necessarily fitting in you know, either at school or with either side of his family, you know, with step-parents or, you know, his actual mother. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I will say, you know, this... I don't I don't dislike the song. It's maybe not my favorite Nirvana song. I kind of feel... Well, I mean, we'll get into the next track, but... Which I feel like is a little bit more uh, a fit of a fitting end. But, yeah, I mean, not to, I, that doesn't take away... that. I, I still think this is, you know, a great song. It's definitely Kurt, you know, me being a little more vulnerable, being a little more, like, intimate, as I said. And so with that, we'll close with the last uh, track on the album, which is Endless Fameless, which I don't have a lot to say because it's literally just a, uh, like, riff. Interesting, though, it is um, it is a hidden track, which you really, I feel like you don't really see a lot of nowadays, you know, obviously with, you know, streaming and everything, just how everything's gone. I kind of feel like maybe someone would be listening to this, you know, they coming off of something in the way... I don't know, maybe just sitting on a bed listening to this and all of a sudden you start here, the bass come in just like dun 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 dun. I, I I actually love this track. I feel like it's maybe kind of getting into like a little bit of noise rock in a way, kind of, and just like I mean, because the story is, you know, this was um I believe that they were recording lithium. Uh Kurt just got so frustrated he kinda had just kinda like he was pissed, he just kinda had like a little bit of a breakdown. Uh, and they just kind of went with it. I found different interpretations of what the lyrics actually were, but well, Kurt's they just made it screaming. up right on the fly. Yeah, it is. It is like you said, Caitlin. It is a jam. But I, I do kind of love this track. Just how it starts off. It's just like that, like the screeching, the kind of distortedness, and then it kind of comes in with the that kind of like grungy, kind of slithering guitar. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't totally dismiss this track. I do feel like you know. Apparently, from what I heard too, originally this wasn't actually included on the album. But Kurt, like, was really pissed off when they decided not to, and he demanded that they put it on. So, yeah. I mean, it's a really good musical riff. It is, yeah. The the three of them are going insane. Yes. It's it's fantastic music. They would smash guitars all the time. Uh, Curse Nova Selleck said in an interview it was kind of their way of getting off stage. But, um, yeah, I know, hey, I... You know, maybe we should bring back, you know, smashing guitars again. Yeah, it's just kind of like, I feel like if you're going to end, never never mind in any way, you need to kind of end it with this, just this kind of breakdown, this just kind of going all out kind of thing. That's just, I mean, that's just my opinion. Right. And I just want to le- read the lyrics because like, it really just to seem like jumbled words um, and it's a lot of screaming, but like here, here's 
hear the words. So verse one is silence. Here I am. Here I am. Silent. Bright and clear. It's what I am. I have died. Interlude. Mother, 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 mother. Verse two. Death and violence. Excitement. Right here. Died. Go to hell. Here I am. Right here. Ow. For interlude. Mother, no mas. No mas. Mama. Verse three. Death is what I am. Go to hell. Go to jail. And back of that. Crime. Here I am. Take a chance. Dead. Die. Like, what? And you want... Now listen, this song is the perfect thing for Tipper Gore to clutch her pearls to and say... Al, you better not invent the internet so the children don't <laughs> learn this. It's really just like, it is the noise. And this was something that like, so there was like a Nirvana. So I, I love the nanny. And there was a Nirvana reference where like the oldest daughter on the nanny is like, talks about like how much she loves Kurt Cobain. And then Mr. Sheffield is like, it's all noise. I like the 60s music. And I'm like, there's this the joke is that like everyone said that about rock and roll in the 60s and yes. mm-hmm. here you have a perfect example of literal noise like musical chaos but it's artful in that you it it takes a lot of skill to make this music work and to make it and you have three really talented musicians exactly. making this song this incredibly um it, like this wall of sound like the who destroying whatever equipment they had like the who um and 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 destroying your sense of what what to do with what you've learned in this album that's the thing too it just like i mean this could have just been just like a bad take it could have just they could have just taken this i mean and just like while they're recording just like thrown it out like butch fig could have just been like no no no, we're not doing this but they make it work it's just like this like jam caitlin like you said but like it it's i i kind of love it yeah and with that we will close out on this uh wonderful crazy funny album never mind by nirvana this has been great guys Jeffrey and Chris, why don't we, before we close out with this on uh, this episode, kind of talk about what happened after Nevermind and why Nirvana is still so important today? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm going to not say I'm an expert, but with Nevermind, obviously propelled them to newfound fame. Even when, when Nevermind came out, they weren't even the biggest band out of Washington, out of Seattle. But, you know, suddenly they didn't even expect it to sell that many copies from what I got, but it just kind of exploded. They just became, you know, a household name. They were the biggest, you know, band on the planet, pretty much. In a way, that fame was kind of positive and negative for them, I feel like. I mean, I think with Kurt a lot, too. You know, going into In Utero, just kind of the direction they took there, the themes that that would go into, how the fame kind of weighed on all three of them, maybe Kurt more so. I mean, yeah, I mean, hey, we all know what happened. Um, Caitlin, if you want to comment on that, maybe, or Jeff... Okay, so so things kind of started to spiral after, um, never mind, I think um, Kurt especially struggled with um, being launched into sudden, like, international fandom, and um, at this point he had started a family um, with Courtney Love and was uh, very, very much addicted to drugs, and he had a daughter with Courtney named Frances Bean Cobain, and 
um, his mental health and um, his well-being declined. And after being sent to rehab, he broke out of rehab. And the how and why and whatever is very heavily debated. But um, essentially, uh, Kurt Cobain died on uh, April 5th, 1994. And um, that essentially was the end of Nirvana after that. And um, it, cha- it, ch- it changed the music scene very much so. Um, you read accounts about how a lot of fans of Nirvana, especially young fans, um, were inspired by Kurt and also um, committed suicide, which is very sad. And then both uh, Chris and Dave went on to do uh, other things for those um, who are big fans. Um, Dave Grohl uh, went on to f- uh, f- help found the Foo Fighters. And uh, Dave Grohl is also an example of a quote-unquote like great celebrity good guy. Um, you he, <laughs> any, any any interviews you read with him, he just seems like a generally like sweet and very kind person, very cool, very down to earth. Um, gives a lot to charity. Just all in all, like a really really great guy. And uh, Chris, please say. The other guy's name, because I'm going to butcher it, like a jackass. Chris, no, Chris Novoselic. Yes, he is very big into politics and, like, changing the world via politics. Um, and that's the legacy that um, he's been leaving behind as well. And he started a couple of um, his own bands. So, and then we just want to plug a few albums from Nirvana that you may not know about. MTV Unplugged in New York um, oh, was remastered. One. It's for best. 2019 uh that was a really really one of our one of the best ones they got um their live at the paramount live album um was remastered in 2019 that one's worth a, a listen and of course uh their whole their whole collection um their whole catalog is worth a listen um they did have a greatest hits album nirvana 2002 i would say skip it and just listen to the albums themselves I, I even went back and listened, re-listened to Bleach a bit, and it's kind of interesting to see kind of like the direction they took of like this, just the kind of difference in sound of um, Bleach going into Nevermind, just kind of going from like a little bit of a maybe punkier sound to kind of the more almost radio friendliness and like almost poppiness of Nevermind. Yeah, I was just going to say, Jeff, you had mentioned the uh, MTV Unplugged album, um, one of my all-time favorite one of my top five favorite all-time favorite um nirvana songs is their cover of where did you sleep last night and it's just such a powerful performance a lot of the times when people revisit kurt cobain's like last performances um they go to this one because it's so raw and um there's a couple there's a point near the end of the song where he is delivering one of the last notes and his voice cracks and his eyes are closed and then he opens them or opens his eyes and it's just like this very clear bright raw performance just absolutely beautiful if you're gonna listen to any song on that mtv unplugged album please listen to that i love the uh the bowie cover to uh, man who sold the world that was always one yes. of my favorite nirvana songs he does That's a great a really job good one. and bowie loved that cover too Thank you all so much for joining us on this journey into our deep dive of Nevermind by Nirvana. And Chris, thank you so much for being our first guest speaker on our podcast. You were absolutely fantastic and so fun to 
talk about this album with um no thank you so much for having me this was it was really great just like taking i don't think i've ever taken this much of a dive into you know anything nirvana did so i really appreciate this that's what we do here that's what we do that's how we be and with that um the next album that jeffrey and i are going to do a deep dive for is brand new eyes by paramore which is my favorite paramore album it's It's so good And uh, with that, we will catch you all on the flip side. See ya.